throughout the course of the pandemic, we, the conversations and the tables that we've been able to sit at as medical directors, which we actually, we've, we drank the juice of Paul Hinchy and we are now the chief medical officer and deputy chief medical officer. And the reason that we switched our language is that the people in the hospital would understand what the heck a medical director of EMS did. Because it's, it's the equivalent of a chief medical officer in a hospital system or in a healthcare system. And so by changing our titles, we were able to sit down at the table with the C-suite of the hospitals, but you start having these discussions with people and you realize, unless you're in EMS, you have no idea what the heck EMS is. And I think some of our idea, like our, our roles and our jobs that we should be taught about a lot more as you get up higher is when you go sit at the table with non-EMS people, part of your job is to educate what EMS is. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome back to another edition of the EMS One Stop. Uh, we're having a Shark Tank edition, and we're going to be talking about Pinnacle 2022, of course, which takes place from July the 25th to the 29th at Marco Island, Florida, EMS One, which is why we're on an EMS One podcast, is the premier media partner. We're all excited about that, aren't we, folks? Um, now, one of the things we're going to talk about is we have pre-conferences coming up at Pinnacle on Monday the 25th of July, one of which includes diving back into the Shark Tank, the Innovation Incubator. And uh, last week, we had Mike Tegman and uh, Remley Crow on. Uh, we had a hoot. So there's no challenge to my guest today to entertain us and amuse us. I'd like to welcome Dr. Joel D'Onofrio Odeman with the umlaut. You've already heard that. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, the man that needs no introduction, so we'll carry on with the conversation. No, it's uh, the one and only Dr. Ed Rock. Now, before we start, we are recording live, and usually we're on Zoom or we're on Zencaster, and I can just see you uh, in a screen, but actually we are live here at the Gathering of Eagles. And so these people are not only my guests, they're also eagles. And uh, Ed already, and we're already, we're only 20 minutes into eagles, and Ed has already knocked the socks off. And I'm wearing my eagle socks, by the way. Hashtag sock game. Uh, has knocked the socks off. Yes. I have to reveal my eagle socks this he morning. He literally has flexing eagles on his socks. I have flex socks. flexing eagles on my socks. Hashtag sock game. If you're, if you're following me on social media, you'll know what this is all Weird about. Weird things about Rob and put number 87 socks. Yeah. Whew. Indeed. Hashtag sock game. Uh, we're here at Eagles and we're going to talk about Pinnacle as well. And I just have to thank my friends uh, and the team at Prodigy because today we're using their system to record this podcast. So we're going to plug everybody thank you so much thank you james who's not uh, on the podcast but he's watching us with a big grin on his face uh, what's going on here anyway let's get back to first of all pinnacle as i said i had mike and uh, and remley on last week and obviously we talked about some the, the sort of resilient side of stuff i've got two medical directors here um thinking about the future which is where we want to talk about in the shark tank innovation what's the next big thing ed 
So I think the next, do you have an easier question? You know, something related to nuclear fission or building? Well, we're going to come on, we're going to come on to the nuclear, the, the So that's a problem, the, right? The wrong, tactical yep. nuclear weapons. wrong, wrong analogy. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought you, that you, one you, up. You that's the session, Eagles. We're going to come back to that. Sorry. Don't panic oh, just no, no. yet. I, Sorry, Ed. Anyway, I back to you. I know. Oh, yes. So, which is spooky. So, creepy. so, you know, Rob, I think the, where we are today, so it's really easy to say, A, we're prepared for a large scale event, like for example, a pandemic. We have binders and we've had drills related to a pandemic, so we're ready. And then it happens. And then we spend literally two, two and a half years trying to manage through a rapidly evolving, changing environment. And we add uh, active shooter events. We add this tension in the US over a whole host of things. We look at staffing, we look at workforce shortage. So the optimist would say, this is the perfect time for EMS to come together to take a real hard look at itself in a mirror, clinically, operationally, economically, and say, look at our successes during the pandemic because people dial not, it may have taken a little bit longer to get there, but 911 was resilient through this, 911 changed, it morphed, it adapted, and was able to manage communities, not only in the traditional sense, but you know, paramedics and EMTs that help hospitals, that help staff tents, that help you know, even with patients who, um, who died in the field with um, uh, relating to the pandemic and helping that, that arm of the response. So the challenge is, I think, for us to take a look at ourselves and say, are are we really what we should be moving forward? Or did we learn some lessons, parentheses, telehealth, parentheses, alternate destination, parentheses, expanded skill set? Um, did we learn some lessons there that we need to incorporate into our practices moving forward to be a stronger out of hospital uh, practice of medicine communities? Same question to you, Joel, but obviously you're coming from a, a fire-based EMS uh, medical directorship. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? I feel like over the past two years during the course of the pandemic, the, our entire air, like, um, our entire, I'm, I'm like trying not to use California regional systems language because that is what I'm so used to is our LEMSAs and our counties and state. But I feel like people who were not aware of EMS and the ICS structure and the fire systems organization just had their minds blown with how prepared and organized and efficient we could be and how when something was needed, we were able to step up to the plate and deliver and help organize. We went from just utter chaos and it was fire and EMS who stepped in and helped clear things up and set a path forward whether it be how are we initially going to screen COVID, how are we going to, now we have tests, how do we test and prioritize COVID, whether it be for employees or the, the citizens, to now we actually have vaccinations. How do we get vaccinations going? Mass vaccination clinics, not just for our own staff, but for the entire cities. It is what we've been able to demonstrate in terms of what we have has just elevated EMS and fire in the eyes of the entire medical and not just medical, it's like the, the, the OES and the entire structure understands a little bit more about what we do and how we do it and that we do it so well. 
Now, when you combine this with the fact that on the horizon, this blinking horizon that we've been watching and waiting for and like grasping onto with ET3, alternate destination, community paramedicine, telehealth, and we've been going, we need this, we need this, we need this, and then you have pandemic go, let's deliver this on a plate. Let's, we're gonna force these options because they're what's needed, and we, and we go, we know it's what's been needed. We've been talking about it for the last 15 to 20 years, and now here's our opportunity where people who can actually write legislation and regulation and change the system understand now what EMS and FIRE do and understand the benefits of all these solutions we've been talking about and activating. And so I think what we're going to see is that we're at this precipice, 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 I can't remember. Precipice. Precipice. Edge. Edge. Yeah. Right at the edge. And the, the EMS of pre-pandemic and the EMS in five years, I don't think they're going to look anything alike. I think they're going to look a lot more outcomes-based, a lot more alternate solutions and figuring out not, not everyone needs to go to the hospital. The hospital's not necessarily the best place to take everyone. It's not where we're finding the right solutions. And how do we look at the entire flow of medicine from 911 call all the way through inpatient, outpatient, and kind of really remap this to do better for our patients with more efficiency to our resources and improving our outcomes. You set me up for what I'm about to say because you mentioned ICS and we'll put in the show notes, but I had the honor to chair a Police One webinar a few months ago about ICS and we actually had an expert from fire, police, EMS and an emergency manager all together to talk about how they do stuff. So we'll make sure we put that in the show notes because it's something that everybody wants to see. Also, it was the highest attended webinar that Lexapol ever had because people wanted to come in and hear about that. So ICS is, is absolutely the key thing. Kind of segues back to you, Ed. And uh, as I said, we're at Eagles and you've just stood up on stage and you've given us some, in, in Eagles fashion, 10 minutes of absolutely hot and to the point issues. One of the things you said though, which comes back to what you were talking about, Joelle, is MIH for everyone, discuss. So, you know, to Joelle's point, we, we, we were offered a stage Pandemic gave EMS a stage. We are the front of the front line when telehealth, treat in place, no transport became a part of, of what communities needed to support the healthcare system. When that happened, EMS was able to use expertise knowledge to facilitate that. So, so EMS providers with no experience in what we would call the legacy mobile integrated health, and I, I use that first time I've said it that way, but kind of, you know, mobile integrated health V1.0, those providers were able to come in to identify sick, not sick, and to coordinate with healthcare systems or public health or medical directors or whoever and say, what should we do with this population? So when you think about things like hazmat, so if, if you're a firefighter, you may not go to hazmat six as your assignment, B-shift, but you've gotta know when something is evolving that may need a special area of resources, you have to know how to initially manage that and to take care of it. So given what's happening in out of hospital medicine, and I, when Joe was talking, I, I started a friend of mine said, you guys should change your, your name from EMS to EMHS. And of course I went there, what the heck is that? And he said, you're kind of emergency and mobile health services. And it, his point was, 
you do more than just, you know, Annie, Annie, are you okay? One, 1,000, two, 1,000. You get into people's unplanned care or unresolved issue or problem and you create potential solutions. So we have a lot of things in educational standards in our expectations of kind of the credential provider in the field. But where we are today, I think everyone in EMS should have a working knowledge of what the legacy mobile integrated health is, what the opportunities are. And when you get all those brains thinking about things like, you know, recurrent users or with addiction issues or recurrent Narcan administration, hey, there's public health, they may be able to help that, hey, law enforcement's doing this, it creates a much stronger system to take care of a community. So um, it, it, when you look at EMS, there are things that we all study and kind of absorb early in our career that we'll never use. You know, for example, Joel and I took calculus. That's extraordinarily useful in medicine. I gotta tell you, any drug dose we do, we use calculus to do it. I'm, yeah. But, but at least we started, at least we started with that and have a general understanding. And I think mobile integrated health now has earned a seat that it ought to be a part of the practice that EMS provides. Ah, yes, indeed. Uh, so you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and Spotify. And remember, whatever channel or platform you're listening to us on, please give us a five-star rating so we go up the reviews and hit the top. A bit like hashtag uh, Gathering Eagles is right now on Twitter. We're trending. Coming back to, uh, Joel mentioned ICS. We talked about ICS. Uh, something you said in there, and I want you to just break out a bit, is you said, and I quote, triage tags don't work. So I'll add the full sentence, because I believe I didn't. If I didn't, I can say it here, because it's kind of like clean up, it's editing. So triage tags don't work for all large scale events in today's world. So, you know, our biggest, our biggest large scale event challenge right now, obviously, is a pandemic. Our second biggest large scale challenge are active violent events. Unfortunately, you know, the majority of those are active shooter events with a, an evolving um, potentially hazardous environment with law enforcement and the medical entity all trying to choreograph appropriate access entry. But the difference in an active shooter situation is from the standpoint of managing that patient population, when medically qualified individuals, and I use that term specifically because that may be law enforcement, that may be you know, EMS, that may be the school, that may be whoever are in that environment, it's not just identifying what level you are in terms of your injury, there's a subpopulation of those patients that need immediate treatment. And that immediate treatment, as we all know, is usually hemorrhage control. So it's not just, I'm gonna make you a red and I'm gonna move, I've gotta do something in that time period. So using a triage tag in that rapidly evolving, uh, rapidly changing, often chaotic event, doesn't give us the same thing as a bus accident, right? Where we've got the ability to take a little bit more time, identify patients, a second wave is gonna come in and look at our first wave of work and then pick up from there. So, you know, the Israelis have always, you know, we've always learned from them on um, large scale traumatic events. Um, certainly there's SALT, there's START, there's all sorts of things, but we run the risk, I think, in US-based EMS of thinking that that triage tagging approach in a large-scale mass shooter event is still applicable, and I would suggest that it, it probably um, 
delays appropriate care, may create confusion, and is not necessarily um, appropriate for that environment. Thank you. We're going to go to a quick message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Shark Tank edition of uh, the EMS One uh, one-stop podcast. Uh, we're talking a little bit about Pinnacle 2022. I'm here with uh, Dr. Ed Rock and doc Dr. Joel D'Onofrio Oudman with the Umlaut. Um, talking about Shark Tank. We ought to just call you Umlaut Oudman. That's hilarious. We can add a third hyphen to your triple double barrel o. name. In, yes, yes. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. We're doing the Shark Tank now. Last year, Ed and I had the great pleasure of being in the Shark Tank. And I'm going to quote you, Ed, because I've been quoting you all year. It's one of the best conference sessions you've ever been to. Um, Joelle, you're joining us for the first time this year. So, Ed, tell her what she's in for. So i got to tell you, I, honestly, it was um, we were uh, theoretically the presenters in that or the coordinators in that. And realistically, I felt like the student. It was you're listening to people who have their idea, right? Just like Shark Tank, it's like, that's cool, I wanna buy that somewhere. These are people who've thought through problems, you give them a challenge, and as a group, they work together and come up with something that you go, what the heck, that's brilliant, that you've never thought about. So, um, prime exa example last year when um, one of the groups uh, was uh, challenged with recruiting, and their presentation was from the very second you end up in our organization. We have a career counselor that will counsel you on what your next step is when you leave the organization. I thought, that's smoke and crack. And as they laid it out, and as they thought through, look, in that particular environment where that particular system, or like many systems, EMS is an entry level into healthcare, it's brilliant because a, a promising practitioner can come in they can say, look, you're gonna help me get to whatever I wanna do. I wanna to go to nursing school, I wanna to go to medical school, I'll be a respiratory therapist, I wanna to go to the fire department if I'm in non-fire system. It's a brilliant approach. So it's a fun, uh, sorry, forgot about that part. It's irreverent, it's fun, it's casual, um, and it has that shark tank kind of feel to it. So <laughs> last week I had Mike Tayman explain to Remley, because she's going to be a first time shark as well, what it's all about. And she had that sort of, oh, wow, okay. I didn't realize I signed up for that. But are you like ready for this challenge? First time sharks, hammerheads, what are you guys? Nurse sharks, oh, what sort of shark are you? Well, oh, she's, well, uh, oh, oh. Spo oh, hang on, I'm going to spoiler alert because uh, there's actually four of us in the room, as, as you said, Joelle. Joelle is uh, having, a, having a, so maybe you're a nursery shark. Congratulations, by the way, from all of us. Baby shark. That's perfect. Oh, I can. She'll be singing at Pinnacle 2022. I don't think we can top that. Anyway, so 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 anyway, that that's that's the plan, Joel. So I mean, react to that. Are you ready for this? And we hope you can offer some great insight yourself. I'm actually really excited. So. 
I recently took a healthcare leadership course where we did capstone groups and to, to see people come up with a problem and a solution in a team of people who have backgrounds and interests and training that are diverse come together for a solution and then present their solutions. It's eye-opening and it's exciting and it's contagious and to have high-level, interesting conversations about, and, and I, the, the healthcare leadership, it was about healthcare, so it wasn't about EMS, but to be able to do this whole course and multiple hours where we're gonna discuss really hard-hitting topics in EMS and bring groups of people together to talk about potential solutions from their various viewpoints and then discuss them, I'm so excited. I can't wait to listen and hear and discuss and talk about things with a group of incredibly intelligent people with diverse backgrounds. And Rob, you can be there too. And Rob, and Rob, and Rob, and, and, and spoiler alert: we're also I'm also issuing a high banter alert because there will be lots of it, and actually that just helps people break that ice and really come forth with the great ideas. Conversations and projects—it's way more exciting than sitting in front of like someone with a PowerPoint slide. And you don't want to hear me sit and talk like for an hour or two on in front of a PowerPoint. This just active discussion and group involvement is. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because we're going to be there, I think, for four hours and we get one slide each. That's it. Even if that. Brilliant. But Can't wait. You haven't defined the font size. So we could really, depending on the font 5. size, we could get it. And we're issuing binoculars for those at the back. So that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty. For <laughs> Tagman. For Tagman, yes, indeed. So just to remind us all before we move on to back, back to the, the room, as it were, of course, there's Ed, there's Joel, there's Mike Tagman, Remley Crow, Tom Judge, and I'm playing the role of the British judge because every reality show needs a British judge, right? I hope so. I love the accent. We haven't worked out whether I'm Simon Cowell or Mrs. Osborne, but we'll, we'll figure that out later. Uh, we're, we're back at uh, Eagles, and a uh, couple more things that you said, Ed. Um, I have always hated what I call the Ricky Bobby performance measure, which is if you arrive in 8 minutes 59 on time and the patient dies, that's a success. If you arrive late and the patient lives, that's a failure. Response times, let's get away from it. You know, all of my career, we've looked at the 859 uh, beast in the eye. And, you know, 859, 90% of the time, was a metric that served a very important purpose when that metric came into the out-of-hospital practice of medicine because there were no guidelines, there were no standards, there were no expectations, something to work toward based on cardiac arrest data, obviously. Um, system design has evolved tremendously right. since then, uh, as healthcare has. So um, we, don't, we don't look at how large, well, I guess we kind of do, how large an incision a surgeon makes to determine you know, whether that surgical procedure was effective or appropriate. Metrics that don't apply to outcome. If I'm a patient, the thing that's most important to me is what, what happens to me based on your actions. And in EMS, it is, timing is an important part of that, getting to the patient side, but it's a system that gets to the patient side. So I spent 13 years in Austin essentially as an ALS first responder. I had my vehicle, responded. I gotta tell you, I really, really, really had to hump to get to any scene where I could perform an ALS intervention of some sort before I wasn't joined with, from my colleagues from the ambulance side or the engine side. So this idea that an interval, a response interval is a metric 
the sole metric or the most important metric of performance is antiquated. Um, outcomes, neurologically intact survival, hell of a lot harder to measure, hell of a lot harder to achieve, but the most important component to that cardiac arrest patient's outcome. So how do we have the discussion to measure the system's performance across the board um, relating to what the patient expects when uh, they or their family or a bystander calls 911? And now is a time, like in healthcare, for us to take a serious look at that and say, we're gonna do the hard thing. We're gonna look at what really makes a difference and we're gonna work toward it. Excellent. Jack Stout, in, later on in his life, was criticized by somebody who came up to him and said, I can't believe the way you designed your system design. And Jack looked at him and turned around and said, well, I designed that 30 years ago. Why haven't you done anything different since? And that's probably been the problem. Yep. Response times, clinical measures. I mean, how are you sort of doing things differently in, in, your, in, in the world that you influence, let's say? It's tricky as, as Ed's talking about all this and we... And going through all these painful discussions that we've we've had over the course of I think a few years pre-pandemic, of trying to figure it out because it's a balance. There is the yes, you have to be there within X amount of time, but at the same time, you want your cardiac arrest patients to have that rapid onset. So how do you figure out what is the ideal time? And then if you're if you're having prolonged times, then you have less ambulances on the road, and then you start actually having staffing issues. And so in my head, I'm like. Hearing the, our EMS fire chief having discussions with private ambulance on trying to figure out and manage what is the optimal number of ambulances. And if you're not going to do response time and trying to keep 90% within this minute or this minute, then what other metric do you do to make sure that you have enough ambulances on the road? And so we ended up, we switched over, and I still, it hasn't been long enough for me to make a decision on if this was the best switcher or if this is this was like good, this was bad, I, I, like, I think we need to do more data on this. Instead of going strictly response time and you have to be 90% within this on all of these, we actually retrospectively go back and go, okay, those who are actually truly ill, like how many did we actually get to that were quick and that needed it as soon as possible? And how do we do on the retrospective scope? And then we, we tie that in with making sure we had um, unit hours and X amount of unit hours per week. And so we had like a minimum number of unit hours that had to be met in addition to, in retrospect, these critically ill, sick as F patients, did we get to them as quickly as we needed to get to them? So it's, it's a different system. Like when we, we switched it's, it. It's, switched it's, it. it's a challenge. And unit hours actually. There's a lot of numbers and a lot of data and a lot of pros and cons. And, and, and now it's actually seeing how things stamp out. Unit hours, okay, two people on the truck for one hour. They are our most important and most expensive asset, and we haven't got enough of them, Ed. So how can we, uh, how can, what can we do? So um, let me just backtrack, because I think my reaction to that question um, okay. really gets into a lot of what, because I, I agree, Joel. We, we never want to set up an EMS system where we don't get an appropriate level of care to a patient's side. I would argue that from a pull you off the escalator to wherever you're going, whether it's the up, up or the down escalator, the, the idea is to get life-saving care to a patient's side absolutely as quickly as we can. I would argue in the EMS world, that's, that could be a BLS engine, a BLS squad, a police officer, that could be a teacher to school, that could be an athletic trainer. The hard part is figuring out where they are and if they're ready, but to get them there to stabilize, well, 
Just in case you didn't subliminally notice that, that Ed is throwing in the benefits of the initial 911 response for telling people to get the AED, hands-on CPR, and the power of that, and that can be initiated prior to an actual ambulance or fire engine showing up. Yeah, and that's, and I think that's a key part. And, you know, I think organized emergency communications has really embraced that. It probably needs to be refined. I mean, you look at Narcan administration, um, is there Narcan, is there stop the bleed kit, is there an AED, do you know CPR? We're getting so much better at that up front. But the, the concept of getting- And your words, I'm just gonna bust in here, you said that on stage, EMS has the ability to shine. EMS has the ability to shine so brightly in this to say, we got you. Because we did that during the pandemic, we were able to get into communities and say, this is a shit show, excuse me, that's a medical term. We can, we can bleep, right, James? We or, can, or good. Or, can. or you leave. it's a medical term. It's a medical term. Yeah, but this is a mess, and we've got you. And you know what? There are some things that we're going to have to do together to understand this pandemic. I mean, we heard about the new orthopox earlier. And we hear about the, the uh, radiation risk coming up. EMS has the ability to say, not sure exactly what that is, but we're going to do our best to figure it out, to protect the community, and to manage it. We've been fractured as a profession, and we've been fractured by state or by private versus public or volunteer versus career or air versus ground or we've been fractured. We're like different as opposed to, um, I'll use nurses. Nurses have done a wonderful job of defining their profession as nursing, not cardiovascular nursing, not flight nursing, not critical care or uh, office-based nurses, they are nurses, and they're able to make a big impression um, in communities from a political standpoint and from a career choice standpoint. EMS isn't there yet, but boy, we've got such potential to shine so brightly because, you know, we've got to figure out how to get people to be so excited and say, I want to be a paramedic, I want to be an EMT, I want to work in the out-of-hospital setting. And right now, it's tough. Healthcare's a little bit leery across the board, but you know, EMS has a real recruiting, I think we have a little bit of an image problem, not because we're a bad profession, but because people are going, I want to do that stuff. Are you kidding me? Long hours, cover of Time Magazine, which was great for us, by the way. Um, so it's, I hope we unify because the strength we would have as a profession to send that message in this time period is bigger than any profession out there right now. Throughout the course of the pandemic, we, the conversations and the tables that we've been able to sit at as medical directors, which we actually, we've, we drank the juice of Paul Hinchy and we are now the chief medical officer and deputy chief medical officer. And the reason that we switched our language is that the people in the hospital would understand what the heck a medical director of EMS did. Because it's, it's the equivalent of a chief medical officer in a hospital system or in a healthcare system. And so by changing our titles, we were able to sit down at the table with the C-suite of the hospitals. But you start having these discussions with people and you realize, unless you're in EMS, you have no idea what the heck EMS is. And I think some of our idea, like our, mm -hmm our roles and our jobs that we should be taught about a lot more as you get up higher is when you go sit at the table with non-EMS people, part of your job is to educate what EMS is. They're, like I will go to high level meetings with C-suite individuals 
and show them what we do, like from 911 to the ER, and they go, you wait, you can do what? How many points of triage do you have? You can do those kind of treatments? What can your parent, like, there's a difference between, and it's not just medic. Yeah, but it's this, this idea that no one has a clue that there is an entire world of medicine before you ever get to the emergency department, and we've existed for so long that I go, that is part of our responsibilities. And when we go to these meetings and we talk, we need to go look at what exi exists and how well we do it and how do we in integrate better. And part of that is just like the nursing needs and going, here's what EMTs can do, here's what paramedics can do, here's how we can do it out of hospital, in the hospital, across the entire spectrum. It's not just 911 calls, it's helping prevent bounce backs. It's, we can work together within a system and we have a powerful skill set. That's a whole new podcast and perhaps we can also maybe hint at people thinking about that when we come to the Shark Tank. Um, but actually to your point, I remember back in a place where Ed and I used to work in uh, Central Virginia where uh, the Level 1 Trauma Centre put up this fantastic TV series about what happens when gunshot wound trauma victims come in. I'm like, hang on a second, how do they get there? Let's just rewind a little bit and tell that story too. Because, you know, I had a whole lecture which, I, which was actually entitled In the Alleyway by the Dumpster, right? Because that's where, you know, we normally pick up a lot of our patients. And so it's we actually... the cardiac arrest that you did, which, which is, is between the window and the bed. Top floor and the bathroom. There we go. Yes, yes. There's a whole... We can actually do a whole series of these. Um, but you, you, you're absolutely right. And uh, to t we, we have to be better at telling our story. And uh, people like AAA, NAMT are telling, you know, doing our best to play stories and to become in the public eye. In California, of course, we are, you know, trying to work very hard to be to get in the public eye. Um, but the trouble is, you know, people don't remember the best thing, they only remember the last thing. And when you see ambulances crashing, former paramedic did this, did that, it detracts from telling our story of the goodness that we're doing. And as I say, that's another, another podcast. But you know what, so... And Joelle, you just did it. So unfortunately, you all listening to this don't have the advantage of the visual. So you exuded, and I think one of the most important characteristics we need to, to really shine and to have others look is pride in what we do. Right. You couldn't see her face during this, how excited, how proud when she said, we're the CMOs, we go in, we talk about what we do as a system. That pride is jet fuel. If you think about how powerful it is for any profession, for Joelle and I to go into the hotel staff here and say, you know, so we are, we're proud to be EMS physicians, or to go in front of a city council and say, we're proud to have paramedic so-and-so, EMT so-and-so, I'm proud of what I do. I'm proud of what I provide for the community. That pride is, it is infectious. It is better than Omicron BA5, right? To say, we're proud of what we do. And it's hard, but when you see and you feel the pride in the profession, it pulls us all closer together and we can send a better message. You're actually giving me goosebumps. So one of, one of my big things is that I make sure that all of our ER residents, um, I'm no longer their, their rotation director for EMS, but I like, like set this stuff up and I like follow through with it. They have to go to 911 dispatch. They have to do a ride along with the fire engine. They have to ride, do a ride along with the ambulance because they have to know all the different components. And then we sit there and we actually have a conversation about let's walk through the course that your, fam your patient goes through from the time 911 calls all the way until delivery to the ER. And I kid you not, 
every single training. I have not had a single one yet. ER physician, their mind is blown by what we do with EMS. It is like, have had groups of doctors from other fields come over and no one understands what we do, which is why we have to, we have to shout it and tell people and go, what we have, it works, it matters, we can do better, we need to have a seat at the table in this discussion. And we're proud to be your partner. Yeah. And that will be the opening clip to this podcast. Excellent, thank you. We are out of time because these things go very quickly. Once you start chit-chatting, I could be here all day. You've given me many more ideas for future podcasts. I can't wait to see you all again at Pinnacle 2022, 25th to the 29th at Marco Island, Florida. We're going to be in the tank and uh, elsewhere, I'm sure, these discussions will continue. Um, you've given us some, some great insights and I thank you for that. Final question, it's the toughest one. How do we get hold of you, Joelle? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PEMEMS. That's P-E-M-E-M-S. Excellent. Any umlauts in there? No umlauts, yeah. Okay. And it stands for Pediatric Emergency Medicine and Emergency Medical Services, because that's my training. There we are. And Ed is just checking his business card to work out how we can get hold of him. Ed, how no, can we get hold no. of you? Not on my space. Yeah, um, you know. <laughs> Which space is your space? Yeah, that's that space. Yeah, it's that space. That it's space. space. Um, you can email me at, uh, see, this is like so bad because yours is so easy. Mine's um, chrysanthemum, uh, sorry, I'm kidding. It's edward.rocht at gmr.net. So that's edward.racht at gmr.net. That's almost as good as when you talk to Ray Barashansky. He'll say, I'm Ray Barashansky, common spelling. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can keep up with me on LinkedIn and also on Twitter at UKRobL1. Also, look at uh, Gathering Eagles 22, even though by the time this podcast comes out, the show will be over. But the amount of amazing stuff that's going to be on there for you to harvest for your organization is immense. We're already only two hours into it, and my thumbs are already aching through the tweeting. Um, anyway, that's been EMS One Stop. Shark Tank version two. Next week, we've got Tom Judge and Jay Fitch joining us to talk about Pinnacle again. So I'm looking forward to that. For the moment, guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Rob.